Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. So when I first moved to Austin, I was really taken aback by how everybody wants to talk to you. Like strangers in the grocery store, when they're bagging your groceries, they want to like chat with you for like 10 or 15 minutes. At first I was avoidant because I'm from New York and I just thought that was really weird and, and, and too personal. Now <laughs> I look forward to the, the checkout line at HEB because I get to have a little chat break with a stranger and um, my boyfriend has to like drag me out of the grocery store every time. I'm Laurel Kinney and this is I Love You So Much. Welcome to I Love You So Much, the Austin 360 podcast, a show for everyone caught up in an ongoing love affair with Austin, even if it's complicated. I'm your host, Tali Mosley. I'm Omar Gayaga. And I'm Addie Broyles, coming to you from the shores of Lady Bird Lake in the offices of the Austin American Statesman. In this week's episode, we're joined by Miranda Wiley, co-founder of sex-positive storytelling event Bedpost Confessions. She has a brand new podcast called Seen with Miranda about identity, the way others see us, and the distance between the two. Today, she gives us a sneak peek. Fifth-generation Austinite Stephanie Lang came into the studio to talk about Clarksville, one of the first Friedman communities in Austin that is the subject of a new photo exhibit at UT. On this week's web report, a study suggests that going to see live music could extend your lifespan. Is this junk science, wishful thinking, or a real thing we should care about? We ask Eric Webb to sort it out for us. And on a toast, we recommend some things you should be checking out. But let's start with Miranda, whose show Bedpost Confessions returns to the stage in Austin on April 18th. Welcome, Miranda, to I Love You So Much. Thank you, Tali, for having me. So I first want to acquaint listeners with the many things you do from Bedpost Confessions to your new upcoming podcast, Seen with Miranda. Um, you also work at South by Southwest. But let's start with Bedpost Confessions, which is primarily how you and I know each other. So can you just walk us through how Bedpost came about and when it came about? Yeah, Bedpost is something. It is a storytelling show about sex and sexuality and gender identity and everything in between with uh, in relation to sex. Um, it is going to be eight years in September, which is pretty exciting that we've been doing this show and um I could go, wait, what were your questions about it? Because I could talk so much about yeah, it. Yeah, like, like how, how, how did it come about? Because I know that, you know, there are two other producers for the show. Yes. And um, I just want to kind of hear an origin story of Bedpost. Okay, right. So um, it started because um, Julie, Rosie, Sadie, and I, there were four of us to start. We were all uh, on the online in the sex positive community. And um, I moved uh, to Austin from New York City and announced that I was moving. And Sadie Smythe said, do you know I live in Austin? I said, no, I no idea. So we uh, met and essentially started hatching Bedpost Confessions that 
day, like our very first meeting, because I was asking about the scene here and what what, what was like, what, what was happening, and um, she said, you know, nothing really, <laughs> nothing doing, <laughs> <laughs> not in terms of like the things that we were both interested in, which is like storytelling um, and doing a show. So we started it. So three months later, we had our first show, and that was two thousand ten. Yeah, two thousand ten. Okay. And so what I've always found so charming about the first iteration of Bedpost was that, yes, you were focused on storytelling and more polished narrative, but you quickly realized that what the, like, real juice of it was were these audience confessions. Yes, yes. I tend to sometimes forget about that, and that those really are the star of the show. So the show... Um, always has uh, four storytellers and then throughout the show we have what we call audience confessions which is where like someone can write on a card that begins with I confess something anything the good the bad the ugly the beautiful the hilarious the embarrassing um, and we read it on stage and then we talk about it and a lot of times people are are writing down things to test the water in a way, to see what kind of audience reaction it'll get, to see what we say about it. And um, it's changed a lot of people's lives in a way of normalizing a lot of things that people think are weird or um, they're, they're not sure how to talk about it. It's amazing how many people are think that like their partner will leave them because they want to do X, whatever X is. Yeah, like I've described the post confessions before as a church almost. Like it really does have this catharsis, even though it can be raunchy and hilarious and s- shocking. Um, but the audience is so passionate because I think because of that confessions but I don't know is that why you think the audience is so passionate because they're getting something off their their chest they're communing with like-minded people like why is the audience I mean folks like it's a two-night run and it is packed to the gills every single show I think that yeah there is there is this church like aspect because we all commune because people really give the artists their attention and they um you know a lot of the performers they get off the stage and they just say when can I do this again like and it maybe have been a conversation that I've been having with this person for years trying to get them to tell their story on the stage and they just haven't felt like they could or weren't sure like how to do it and then the audience is just so um engaged and so a lot of people get off the stage and say that's that's the best audience I've ever performed for um and we ask a lot of our performers in, a, in ways too we ask them to be very vulnerable we ask them to talk about things to not gloss over the details of why they're choosing to do things that they're choosing to do and and um and so I think it, it because it we because we have a whole range of emotions uh, on display, um, and then we share our own personal lives too. I think it's also because the producers tell their stories on stage, and we talk a lot about ourselves in the confessions as well too. And so I think it makes us it makes the whole thing a whole lot less scary. A lot of people come to the show and they're like, "I was scared to come. I didn't know what I would think." And I'm like, "Yeah, well, exactly. What did you think the show was going to yeah, be?" Yeah, that's that's the thing. It's like I think some people think it's swingers, or it's like yeah. uh, I don't know. It's just like um, they feel like it will be less relatable than it actually is, or they feel like they already have to be kind of on the alternative fringes of society to like get into this. But really, I mean, it's radically accepting, and that's sort of the whole. Point, yeah, <laughs> you know? um, 
And what I've always enjoyed about Bedpost, too, is um, it's not without some explicit values, such as consent, you know, um, and also self-awareness, which is something we're going to get into later when we talk about Scene with Miranda. But, um, yeah, I... um, I, I evangelize about bedpost confessions a lot. I think it's a like <laughs> you. a good and healthy thing for Austin, Texas, and really can't say enough good things about it. Thank you. So let's talk about another project that you are diving into, and that is Scene with Miranda, your upcoming podcast. Um, it has one episode out right now with right right now with the longtime bedpost storyteller Nikki Devon. Yes. And there's also a trailer. And I have to say, like, um, and I shouldn't be surprised because this is not your first rodeo in the podcasting world, but I was like, it is so well produced. Oh, thank and it's you. like the sound quality is so nice. You know, you don't that that's not always a reality with brand new yeah. podcasts, baby podcasts. So um let's talk about the premise of Scene with Miranda and tell a listener what they can expect when they come to this this show. Yeah, so Scene with Miranda just had a soft launch for South by Southwest, and it is a podcast about identity and the layers of identity. And so I ask guests to come to the show with a a list of the ways that they have been viewed, acknowledged, and judged. And it's generally about five to eight items. And then we discuss them. And the coolest thing about this show for me is that like, I'm giving the 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 guest like the the direction of like what we're talking about so until I get their scene list I have no idea so in the case with Nikki Devon I've, I've known her I've worked with her a lot she's been on the bedpost stage you know several times like she's a, a bedpost fave um, I adore her but when she gave me her list it, there was a lot of stuff that I didn't know about and also she is somebody who um, posts a lot about identity and i thought that this would be really easy for her to do this show and she was nervous and so that was really sort of heartwarming as well um and so and that's kind of the point of it is that you don't always know how somebody views themselves or how they think that they're being viewed or you know it's just it's amazing that we get any of it right like sex, connection, intimacy, like <laughs> relationships at all. <laughs> Re- yes, because yeah. there are just there are so many times when you there's just conflict can arise because it's like I was saying it this way. And then the person's like, but your tone was this way. And and just even the way that the, the visual the visual indicators that we all have in our lives. And so there's just there's so many ways that we make judgments about people. And sometimes they're right and sometimes they're wrong. And then then the way that we want to project ourselves but then that's not always how we're seen so um that's in in a nutshell what the podcast is about to me it seems like the guests that you have on the show have to possess two things and that is both a shocking level of self-awareness and also a game attitude around vulnerability because they are going to be vulnerable on your show And let's talk about the premise a little bit. So you bring a guest on, and the first thing you have them do ahead of time, before, well before taping, is to create a scene list of the list of the ways people view them. So let's take, for example, some of Nikki's first ones. So she identified as, I I just listened to the show, so I didn't repeat some of them verbatim, but you tell me if I get it wrong. 
fat, fat and black, which is different than yeah. just being fat. Um, she's seen as sassy. She's seen seen as a singer. She's seen as not an, a romantic option for black men. And then you interrogate those. Oh, interrogate those assumptions <laughs> or like those views. Um, and you were surprised. You were surprised by like the level of, um, yeah, like nervousness, vulnerability that Nikki brought in to record with you. Yeah, it's true. Well, like Nikki lives her life to the hashtag fat and black in Texas, which I love so much that she does. And so because she talks a lot with that hashtag to that hashtag, um, you know, and, and does a lot of videos to the community about race uh, and about Austin's diminishing black population, like seven percent. Yeah. Wow. Right. So I did not think that this would be a big reach for her her to be on the show. But I think it's still something that when you sit down with somebody and it's bare and you're just talking about these indicators, it's it's a it it feels different. And I think also there's an intimacy to recording. And so it's not her in her house with her sister and and, you know, in her comfort zone. It's it, it takes it out a little bit and it's like stripped, too. Yeah. And I think that it's. What I've seen with people on their scene list is that there's no format to it. So they bring however they want to present it. So some people have done more of um, stories. Um, Some have just done like adjectives and that's it. Like just one word. Um, Ebony Stewart is going to be on and she is um, a great poetry slam winner and all around phenomenon badass. And she does a scene list that's a poem right so it's like there's all these differences that even people come to the show with with how they're going to talk about themselves and um it also depends too i think where they are with their lives so some of the scene lists where the people are digging more into their past and it's like a resolved issue then it's it's a little bit less vulnerable than somebody who's on stage dealing with something very presently I just said right. stage. Right. I'm still so used to the stage. <laughs> this the <this laughs> stage of that we all share in this world. The stage of life, <laughs> yes. Um, so what's fascinating to me is kind of the disparity that you identify as a host between the way they are seen and the way that like they actually are in some other facet of their life. So one of the first words I would use to describe Nikki is confident. Like she just self-presents as a very confident, self-possessed individual. But when you ask her about one point on her list about not being a romantic option for black men, it's so interesting. She doesn't, you can tell that she's still trying to work it out. Mm-hmm. And she's still trying to decode like, what? what is this thing? It's not even in um. It's, it's not at all like a self-pitying way. It's just like, this is so weird. Like, I am invisible to a portion of the population. I'm very visible in other parts of my life, but I'm just invisible to this portion of the population. And, like, you can just see her like, well, but I saw hit- I saw him hit on another fat black woman, so it's not it's not that. Um, maybe he's not into nappy hair. Like, no, then I see him hit on a girl with nappy hair. Like, what is it about me? You know, right. so it's like you can see, like... Uh, that it's just sort of taking away the away the veil of confidence that I think that most people associate with her, and that's fascinating. 
Do you find in doing this show that other people are kind of, or listeners are kind of making up their own scene lists? Yes. Because I started doing that when I listened to it. And um, it's hard. Like, it's really hard to think about the way you self-present in the world and what the main takeaways are with other people. Yeah. Uh, This is essentially how this podcast started for me was just writing down a scene list, which I didn't even know that that's what I was calling it at that point. But it was just keeping track of the ways that I'm viewed um, and how people feel like they have access to me. And it's it's come up in different ways through Bedpost, which is a show about sex. And so people make a lot of assumptions about me. A lot of it, honestly, came out when I was pregnant because there was just so much that people felt like they had access to me and asking me like just random strangers and so you know this woman at the at checkout saying like oh um what's the sex of your child and I'm like I, I don't know and she said is that your choice and I said yeah that's my choice like <laughs> whoa <laughs> and that's like drive-by intimacy <laughs> yeah and this other woman who literally came running across the produce aisle to me to be like, I just found out that my daughter's pregnant and seeing you makes me so excited. And that is not... So she saw me, right? To bring as to like, pregnant, yes. <laughs> to bring it to and a scene list, <laughs> yes. As a pregnant body, as like as not as not a person, as not even like I, I was her daughter. I was possibility. I was, you know, a womb. I'm, I'm like a like a like just a thing. Like I'm not, and I have no relation to this person. And meanwhile, like I was miserable and I've had a lot of trauma with pregnancy. And so it's, that's why I really started to feel invisible, even though I'm in the most heteronormative position ever, like white with married to a man with a dog in a house and have a backyard. And yet it's like this, this, connection of pregnancy has been really traumatic for me. And so the 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 way people see pregnancy and pregnant women is just full of life and and glow and all the talk about being, you know, such a glow about, you know, it's like that's rage right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is not happiness. That's your perception of what a pregnant woman is. And there was a lot of yeah, I had a lot of rage at so many different things, at at experiencing loss, at um, even just biology, really. A lot of it came down to biology, that, like, this is something that women do, is have babies. And And it's so hard. (laughs) Like, it is so hard. Like, no one adequately prepared me for that, you know? Like, it's just like, you're pregnant. Like, this is what's happening now. But, like, no one... Or maybe they did try to tell me, like, how hard it would be in, like, the childbirth experience, and it just didn't sink in. But, uh, yeah, like, and sometimes people ask me if I'm going to get pregnant again. I'm like, do you know how difficult that is? Like, even if you have a great pregnancy, like, it's still, whoa. like, And it's so personal. Yeah. It like that's the thing is that no one really bounds over to me in the produce aisle now to talk to me about anything, you know. Mm-hmm. But when there's a woman and she's pregnant, it's it's the this access that we think that we have that it just it it con- continually angered me. Um, so there's the storyline in pregnancy and I think in parenting as well that it's challenging 
and it's worth it. Like that's kind of the end note that kind of most people put on parenting and pregnancy. So maybe they're going to post a picture on social media about having a tough day with the kids, but it's worth it. Like there's always this end point of like, wouldn't have it any other way, but I'm so happy. And I really rebel against that. And so that's another thing of now I'm, my kids are five and a half and three. And so I've been a parent for a while. I also spent, you know, four years being pregnant. And so it's been this majority of my life where like Austin has kind of been bedpost and babies. That's what I have done here. <laughs> I created a show about sex and I got you pregnant. many things yes. and now a podcast. <laughs> I got pregnant a lot. I experienced a lot of loss and gains all while being having this public persona. Seamless creator. Yeah. Miranda. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was that sort of always feeling like I don't fit into this storyline. I'm not happy being being pregnant. I'm not happy being a parent. Like I am having a really hard time adjusting to it. And I don't want to post everything that just is like, but it's worth it cuz I got to think I I is it? I don't know. This still ends up feeling to me very narcissistic. It feels like it's a strain. It's a strain on my marriage, it's a strain on resources, it's a strain on money. Like at what point do we as a society say like it it isn't necessary. Like we're having kids now more out of preciousness than what we had them before, you know, historically. So I question so much of it. And I think that inviting people to uh, be a part of the show is a way for me to work out a lot of my own questioning about my identity and what I am partaking in. Um, well, I think one of the reasons this show is already successful, it already has iTunes reviews and it has like <laughs> one episode. <laughs> so I think the reason it is that way is because you carve out that space to make people feel safe because you bring your own vulnerability to the table. Uh, Jack Darling, our mutual friend, called you a champion of others. (laughs) And it would not, that is absolutely the case, but it is that way because like you own your own uh, search and all of this. So uh, Miranda, thank you so much for being on I Love You So Much. Uh, Listeners, you can find Scene with Miranda on iTunes and anywhere you listen to podcasts. And there's also a Bedpost Confession show coming up mid-April. We will link to that in our show notes and also in July and October. Yes. Did I get it it all? You did. It's (laughs) April 18th and 19th. The theme is Undone. And it's going to be a great show. And, yes. oh, I mean, should we even say, like, Wrapped will Wrapped be- Ariel Dance yeah. will be there in October. Yes. So especially, you've got a lot of notice listeners, so <laughs> I fully expect you to be there. Thanks so much, Miranda. Thank you so much. It's been lovely to be seen here. Austinites who are new to the city might not know the history of Clarksville, the Tony neighborhood west of downtown that began as a freedman community after the Civil War. Stephanie Lang recently curated a photo exhibit called Seen and Unseen, a Saturday afternoon in Clarksville that will be on display at UT's Warfield Center through June 1st. She joined us in the studio to talk about it. Thank you so much for joining us today, Stephanie. Thank you. I'm very excited. To be so here. I got to see this exhibit last week, and it was so beautiful and really stirring. I want to hear from you a little bit more about how you conceptualized it and tell just listeners what they can expect when they come. 
Absolutely. So I would say that the exhibition um, Seen and Unseen a Sunday Afternoon in Clarksville is really many things. So it is a reckoning. It is a love letter. It is a prayer. um, It is a reconciliation. And it is all those things and each one. Yeah. And so it's about a dozen photos. (laughs) Yes, there are 12 photos. Um, There are two photographers. So there is um, Hakeem Adewumi, who's an amazing photographer, who usually is local. Right now he's um, in South Africa, but will be back um, in a couple of months. And then there is Celeste Henry, who is an ethnographer and anthropologist by trade, who um, also uses um, photography in her work. Um, And it is basically based on the history of Clarksville. Um, For those folks that don't know, Clarksville is a freedom community um, founded by Charles Griffith Clark in um, 1871. Um, There has been um, a lot of history of displacement in that community, as well as many other communities, um, freedmen communities, black and brown communities in Austin and around the country. Um, And so I started with Clarksville as part of this larger series um, project that I'm working on, both with the Warfield Center and um, it's part of my own personal work. Um, Because you have family members who used to live there, correct? I do. You're fifth generation Austinite. I am. I'm a fifth generation Austinite. And it's part of what I was saying about this kind of um, reconciliation for me personally, you know, that was a part of my family, my father, my sorry, my mother's father's family um, that I did not know much about. Um, I knew that they were connected to Clarksville. I knew my grandparents met in Clarksville. So I like to say, you know, if it wasn't for Clarksville, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> but I didn't have a lot of information. Um, and so I went into this project wanting to talk about the displacement and the gentrification. But what I realized and as I was doing the research was it was really important to let the geography speak for itself, let the community speak for itself. The community of Clarksville was very active in fighting against all of the threats that were, um, you know, the things that were causing them to be displaced and mm-hmm. gentrified. And that was important to kind of um, show that in this exhibition without having it just completely steep in history. So mm-hmm. putting this kind of creative, um, I guess, lens on it. And so mm-hmm. there are some found objects. The, the photo that uh, really moved me to the tears was the photo of your mother's yes. hands holding yes. some broken pieces of mm-hmm. ceramics and glass. And it's kind of right next to a photo with some whole bottles that you found, you know, these blue glass, you know, old Dr. Pepper bottles and things. And there's this haunting staircase that leads to nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, the fence made out of mattresses or the, the, the springs inside mattresses. Tell right. us what meaning you interpret when you see some of these photos. So this is really where the seen and unseen part of the um, the title comes from for me. There are so many things that you would just kind of pass by and not notice in Clarksville that are really speaking not only to the history, but to like the nature of the community, like how close-knit they were. So when you see, you know, the fence outside of Sweet Home Missionary Baptist Church and part of it has been mended with a mattress spring 
um, that speaks to, you know, first of all, lack of resources many times, and but also this connection and commitment to the community and how important the church was to the community. You know, the fragments and the bottles and speak to, you know, ask questions like why were they still there? You know, what was going on that those were left there? Were these people working and then they sat these bottles here? Did they have to leave quickly mm-hmm. because of displacement, because of gentrification? Was there a spiritual aspect to these bottles, you know, what was happening, wanting you to kind of connect with this community, mm-hmm. you know, that in many ways has been erased. Um, another one is the cistern. So there's the cistern there. And you're wondering, you know, hopefully the questions you'll ask are why is there a cistern there? You know, mm-hmm. why was that still something that was used up until, you know, a certain time period when running water was obviously available to most communities. There's a story behind the that. The roads were unpaved in Clarksville right. for some time, correct? The roads were unpaved. There were no flood measures. A lot of the sewage from the other communities backed up into Clarksville. Mm-hmm. All this was part of the plan the city of Austin had um, in the 1928 master plan to basically move these um, communities, these black and brown communities outside of what we now know is, you know, East Austin, which was considered a Negro district, moving them over. Mm-hmm. Um, so they implemented different kind of measures to make that happen. And all of that is still in the land. All of that is in the geography. And that's the type of things that um, this exhibition try to capture. That's so neat. So um, I know you're going to have people coming into the center to view the photos through the rest of this semester into the summer. But you also have some walking tours coming up. And I think that you feel pretty strongly about people experiencing in real life being in this place and using their eyes to look around and see. And and also, I love seeing and unseen the title of this, What Are You Not Seeing? Can you tell us about how people can participate? Certainly. So I've been fortunate to work with the Clarksville Community Development Corporation. Mary Reed is the president. Um, And I've worked with her and there have been some other folks who we um, are working together to create this walking tour. Also, Eric Tang's internship class are going to host it May 1st. And we're basically going to kind of walk through Clarksville, give people um, a historical take um, and also connect it to the exhibition on the community. Um, If you're interested in coming out, um, feel free to call us at 512-471-1784. Or to, um, you can email us at blackstudies at austin.utexas.edu. And we can add you to our mailing list to let you know about this event and many others. And we also have a walking, so I'm sorry, on top of the walking tour, we if you wanted to have a, a tour of the exhibition, we have an amazing um colleague of mine. Her name is Kendall Gross, and she is the education coordinator for the Warfield Center Galleries. And I have to acknowledge the Warfield Center Galleries. Oh, my gosh. Yes. You took me around. <laughs> you have some amazing art up there. Yes. You know, can anybody go in and check that out? They can. And please also, we have a very large um, collection, but then also we have the Christian Green Gallery that is um, on Ingester Dormitory. And it is amazing. It's state-of-the-art. We have an exhibit there now. Um, Magda Compost Ponds, Notes on Sugar. And I just wanted to acknowledge the executive director, Cherie Smith, the director, um, Lee's Ragbeer, and all the people with the galleries and all the amazing work that they do. Oh, gosh, seriously, <laughs> art lovers out there, make your way over yes. to the World Food Center. You will find some, some really unforgettable pieces. Thank you, Stephanie, so much for coming in. Thank you.
we've got a web report for you here with Mr. Eric Webb. Eric, what do you have for us this week? I have the secret to eternal life. Say what? <laughs> yeah, this ain't no Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, uh, wool over your eyes. This is the actual <laughs> real deal elixir that you've been searching for, apparently, but probably not. But okay, maybe. Silicon Valley, listen up. Okay, so here you go. According to a study by British music venue O2 and also a uh, behavioral science expert from Goldsmith University, going to music gigs can actually extend your lifespan. Now I know. That sounds crazy. Okay. Okay. Keep talking and then we'll parse the facts. Sure. So uh, this study says that going to a gig every fortnight, so every two weeks, can extend your life expectancy because 20 minutes of gig time... Uh, can lead to a 21% increase in feelings of well-being, yada yada, divide the X, carry the one, Hmm. the well-being supposedly translates to a longer lifespan. I feel like you left a lot of science out. (laughs) You yada yada all the science out of it. Don't don't shoot the messenger, shoot shoot the study. (laughs) Yes, got through it. (laughs) (laughs) What's your proof? Okay, so this is interesting to me because uh, England is all about loneliness right now. They Uh just appointed a prime minister of loneliness. Uh So I originally thought you were going to talk about like, oh, you're you're standing at a concert. You know, you're not sitting as much. That's better for you. But it's interesting to me that the real thrust of it is your communal time. It's emotional. Yeah. yeah. And so it's things like uh, feelings of closeness are uh, boosted, mental stimulation, increased feelings of self, self-worth. Apparently, th- these are all things that get a little shot in the arm from some concert time, mm. which I don't not buy this obviously is sort of a tenuously <laughs> factual <laughs> study designed to become an internet article so i wouldn't you know make any public what health was the policy sample size was it like not five sure. people one, coming one, out of a cold play concert one music How do critic you feel <laughs> not sure reading? not sure and then there's also the flip side where a lot of behaviors that in fact will not increase your lifespan and in many cases might decrease your lifespan are also Hand in hand with going to concerts. Right. Okay. Go. I I have some questions. First, does it matter what kind of music? This was not well. This was not uh, detailed in the study, but I would imagine whatever type of music increases those feelings of self worth and communal activity. So for you, Omar, that could be whatever whatever you're into, Omar. Eric Uh, Badu. Michael Bublé. Michael Bublé. (laughs) (laughs) The Christmas album is legit. So okay, and and I and the other question I have is about the twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. Like I've been like twenty minutes of a concert's good. Mm-hmm. If you're stuck there for three or four hours, if you're going to say see Ms. Lauren Hill and you're standing <laughs> for five hours, like I did one time, like your feelings of of well being <laughs> go away real fast. Yeah, it definitely seems that the twenty minute mark is specifically tailored to people of a certain age, and I would include myself in that. Oh yeah, in that uh, swath of people of a certain age because I'm very much of the okay, we're done here. I feel like if we had more concerts that were eight hours long, but you got to lie in a bed. Wasn't yes. wasn't yeah like the sleep the sleep concert? Huh? Well, I'm that okay. exactly. So I'm immortal. Nice now. show <laughs> reference, everybody. <laughs> Eric's gonna live forever. Yeah, it's like Age of Adeline, <laughs> Age of Eric Webb. <laughs> nice bleak, lively reference for you. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> okay, Eric, this is some pretty compelling science. Um, <laughs> Omar's now lost it. <laughs> he's Omar's literally, he's literally lost. <laughs> Omar's <it>. really. <laughs> Omar is red in the face because he is such a Gossip Girl fan. I've been waiting so long for an Age of Adeline reference on this podcast. You and me both, brother. 2018 holds all sorts of promise. Okay, we also have a shout out to um, 
uh, someone in our community. Mm-hmm. This is something awesome that happened over the weekend here in Austin. Yes. So this is a little bit of uh, web buzz. It's a little closer to home, maybe. Uh, Daniel Chavez and Lauren Crunk got engaged at the Statesman Capital 10,000 race. Yes, Lauren Crunk. It's a great last name. He got Crunk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, he... Uh, uh, they usually run the race together, but uh, he had a sign for her and said he couldn't run because of an injury. And as she was running, he had the sign and it was facing the, the backside of it. And then when he turned it around, it said, go, Lauren, run now, marry me later. Oh, I, I feel like that's a long way to go to get out of running the Cap 10K, <laughs> like a marriage. <laughs> yeah. But think of the memories, Omar. Oh, Daniel and Lauren, congratulations, guys. Yes. Big, I love you so much. Congratulations. That's Mazel, Mazel wonderful. We, we love you because you love you so much. Yeah. Or something like that. Way to go. Um, Eric, thank you for joining us for Web Report. Thank you for having me and Blake Lively. We appreciate it. <laughs> Now we've come to the moment in our show where we have a toast where we go around the table and give you some recommendations of things we feel you, our listeners, should check out. So, Omar, kick us off. Hey, so I've been on a birthday kick lately. It was my birthday. Uh, It's Tali Mosley's birthday. Birthday month. And in my family, all the birthdays stack up like in from March to June. So like my, my mom, my brother, me, um, and then my best friend is the end of March. So like I've just been getting a lot of birthday cake. Uh, so that's what I'm going to toast this week. Birthday cakes. Uh, specifically, <laughs> uh, nothing bunt cakes. Oh. Do you have those? I, oh, they're very good. Oh, yeah. So I, I had... Wait, what is this? Nothing bunt cakes. I, I, a it's a pun. I get the pun. <laughs> Thank you. Nothing but bunt cakes, uh, apparently. But like they have mini, mini bunt cakes, like little tiny ones, like, like handheld size, and then like the big giant ones. And I've had their raspberry vanilla. I've had, I think, we had one in the newsroom recently mm-hmm. that was like what chocolate something they used to drop off deliveries but you could have a killer food truck called i like big bunts uh and i cannot lie hello (laughs) that was pretty good here's what's interesting is i think that nothing bunt cakes has the market quarter on bunt cakes because let's be honest this is a retro treat that is not exactly having a food food moment (laughs) right right, but they are holding on and people love them and so i actually have mad respect for them when when i first started writing about food they would send cakes for me to try to write about and i was like this is a chain and i just bun cakes aren't cool it was all about cupcakes at the time but now i became a a a fan real quick oh people light up when you bring one of those out and and i would venture to say that they are the edible arrangements of bun cakes Wow! What, do you what, think of what a high, what high uh, praise! Easily delivered, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and also edible. Uh, but the other thing is, uh, the the other thing was, uh, my family every year asked me like, "What kind of cake do you want?" And last year, I went nuts with like a blue velvet cake, and they were like, "Oh!" But they made it anyway because I'm dad. Uh, this year, it was angel food cake. I decided like, "Hey, let's have angel food cake." And I'd forgotten what angel food cake was. I thought, "Oh, it's just a vanilla cake." No, no, this is like a sponge that you put in your mouth and chew on. Okay, okay. Basically. Let's break this down. Is it an enjoyable experience? Are you doing this because you've been on a health kick? Like, what? I don't I literally don't know any person who craves angel food cake. I just I don't what well, we had to buy. It seems like filler. We had to buy a special pan just to make the damn thing. Uh <laughs> no, it just it was just a change of pace. Like I'm used to I've had so much bad kitty sheet cake. Mm-hmm. That just mm-hmm. the change of pace of having something that was a little spongier Airy. that reacts 
negatively to cutting it with a knife <laughs> that like bounces back at you. Like, no, I'm, you're not going to cut me. Uh, it was just a nice change of pace. I enjoyed it. So Angel Food Cake and Nothing Bunt Cakes, those are my recommendations. Oh, you did? Week. You liked the Angel Food Cake? I did. Oh, I was into it. I thought it. you were going to say, mm. was, oh, no. Yeah, like, yeah. were you into it? Did it absorb liquid? Like, how did you make this a pleasant experience for yourself? <laughs> what I did was I would just stack books on top of it and just watch the books bounce up and down. Uh, no, I was <laughs> It was enjoyable. I just, I liked eating it. I it was slept good. on it. It I was need, very I need strawberries to go with my <laughs> angel food cake. It's basically a Casper mattress you can eat. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. You unroll it from that's a That's where bed. I'm going with You're that. You're making it sound like we don't want to eat that. But <laughs> I, I'm going to take, I have not, I've actually, it's been a long time since I've had a homemade angel food Try cake. One. So. They're, they're great. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Addie Royals, what do you have? So uh, we've been thinking and talking a lot about books lately. And uh, we have a segment in this episode about the new Amazon bookstore. And I failed to mention that my real favorite place to get books in Austin is Half Price Books. I love book people. Everybody loves book people. I mean, it is a mecca for sure. But for everyday book shopping and even browsing, we go to Half Price Books. And I did not grow up in a place where you had such a store where you could magically buy books that were half the cost. Oh, of I what... love Half Price Books. And the fact that you can go and sell books that you don't need anymore. I mean, I've already I've pared down my books. I cannot. I literally cannot sell any more books because I don't want I like all the books that I have. <laughs> but as I acquire them over time, you know, it's always nice. You can go drop them off. Um, you can sell magazines back to them, too. You don't necessarily get a great exchange. But, you know, if you take in a couple bags of books, you might get 10 bucks, 15 bucks. And then you can buy a book. And then you can buy books. And they have a great selection. They're so helpful on the phone. You can call them and say, do you have this book? They'll set it aside for you for a couple of days. And it's also just neat to see. I just like uh, the utilitarian nature of reuse the, the reuse culture. And so it makes me very happy to use a book that uh, I know has been read and loved by somebody else. So... Half price books. If you haven't been there, there are like seven or eight locations all around Austin. So <laughs> go check it out. I love that. What are you into, Tally? Okay, I went to Crux Climbing Gym a few weeks ago, and it was so much fun. I got so Ross and I actually got a private lesson with an instructor there, and um, I've been into rock climbing before, but I've never had someone like show me actual technique, <laughs> like whole foot method. <laughs> Don't know about that. For one. example, <laughs> and. It was so much fun. Like, it was really helpful to have someone tell us the proper way Mm -hmm. to do it. Mm -hmm. And um, also, what's cool about Crux is it's in this center off South Congress adjacent to a beer and coffee bar called Cosmic with a beautiful outdoor courtyard with kids and dogs running around and some other food trucks there. There's this one amazing taco place. The name escapes me right now. Puebla Vieja, I think. Puebla Vieja. It's so good. And then um, next door to all that is a wine bar called Infinite Monkey Theorem. So are you, are you South Austinites laughing at me right now because you do this like, Oh, thumbs down on oh, no. Infinite Monkey Theorem. I've had some negative customer Addie service Royals. experiences at Infinite Wine, but I love Cosmic. Mm. Yeah, but these are frequent stops because, yes, in South Austin... Well, you know what? These are the things you do. Okay. Well, the people have spoken because Infinite Monkey Theorem was strikingly empty this night that we went. So, <laughs> because there were no bachelor parties going or bachelorette parties. Uh. My experience has been that we have gotten squeezed out of that place by parties oh. because it is a place, it is like an adult Chuck E. Cheese where you can go. And I don't know why I'm, 
there's not very many parallels other than that it's a place where a lot of people, adults who have an occasion to celebrate, go. And so they have balloons on the tables. Every time I'm there, there are two or three parties. And and if you, unless you're in one of those parties, it's almost like you don't exist. This is where you take your angel I... food cake to eat. <laughs> and whatever's left over, you take it to the climbing place in case you fall. I true. <laughs> your crash pad. And angel I'll be reading cake. my half-price book in the corner quietly. <laughs> Enjoying yourselves, sipping your... Your beer, your 502 pecan porter. They do have a frosé there. It's a frozen rosé that people really oh, love. Okay, all right. Yeah. Well, I had this yeah. no idea. Yeah. The more you know. Anyway, so great date night. Cosmic and Krug's Climbing Gym. Uh, not Infinite Monkey Theorem. No bachelorette party. No bachelorette party. No. It was it was so much fun. I really, really could not recommend Crux enough. I just love the, a date night, an active date night like that. It seems like so much more fun than just like a movie or that dinner. That is our new thing, actually, is like going to a yoga class and then dinner or climbing mm-hmm. and then dinner. It's like, I don't know, because you get to see your partner in a different light. They say the best dates are like adventurous roller coaster well, hey. dates. So you keeping could, it real. You could Netflix yes. and chill or climb and climb again. <laughs> climb and drink. Climb on top of each other. <laughs> Why not? Okay, that's enough. Okay, Addy, Omar, thank you for your dose. That's our show. She's Addy, he's Omar, I'm Tali. Check out the Austin 360 Instagram and Facebook for more about life in Austin. And talk to us on Twitter at LoveAustin360. I love you so much. The Austin 360 podcast is produced by Alyssa Vidales. The show is made with support from Features Editor Sharon Chapman and the entire Austin 360 staff. Our theme music is from local band Hardproof, which you should definitely check out at hardproofmusic.com. You can find more about the show and its contributors at austin360.com slash loveaustin360. And if you want to pitch an idea for the show or give us feedback, shoot us a note at loveaustin360 at statesman.com or leave a voicemail at 512-445-3672. This show is brought to you by our sponsor, Lexus of Austin. We couldn't do this show without you, dear listeners, and we can't thank you enough for lending us your ears, your comments, and your April shower longhorn umbrellas. Until next week, we'll see you at the bookstore with a shelf dedicated to Texas authors. Mm-hmm.